everyone. Welcome to episode seven of The Breakdown with Rothman Orthopedics. I'm your host, Alex Hammond. In this past March at the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons meeting in Chicago, Dr. Asif Ilias, director of the Rothman Opioid Foundation and Dr. Ari Grace, director of the medical cannabis department, both physicians from Rothman, they presented studies that determined cannabis use can actually reduce opioid usage with those who suffer from back pain and osteoarthritis. So it's getting a ton of attention and we're gonna delve into their research findings to find out exactly what this all means. All right, so I'd like to welcome in Dr. Asif Ilias, hand surgeon and director of the Rothman Opioid Foundation, as well as Dr. Ari Grice, physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist and director of the medical cannabis department here at Rothman. I want to thank you both for joining me today and um, obviously discussing this topic. So first and foremost, before we kind of get into the topic of the day, just want to give you both the opportunity to walk us through your journey to Rothman Orthopedics. So Dr. Elias, I'll give you the floor first as a returning podcast guest. Sure, Alex. Thanks. So how far back do you want to go? So uh, that's my as far back as you'd like on, to take us. <laughs> kindergarten onwards. So kindergarten, first grade, second grade, yes. all the way through. Preschool, actually. <laughs> so well, I'll, I'll try to keep it more interesting and brief than that. So after med school, after med school residency fellowships, I actually started practice in Philadelphia, but not at, at Rothman and Jefferson. I initially started uh, at Temple University Hospital. I'm an orthopedic surgeon and a hand surgeon. And after spending three plus years there, I joined the Rothman Institute and Thomas Jefferson University back in 2010. Been at Rothman ever since, and it's been an amazing ride. We've been uh, expanding in so many ways, not just physically, but also just kind of in terms of caliber of the work that we're doing and the influence we're having. And I think some of the topics that Ari and I are going to talk about are a reflection of that growth uh, as, uh, as a company in practice. But I've been with Rothman for about 12 years, 12 plus years now. Great. Thank you for that intro. Dr. Grice. Yeah. So I, I returned from Seattle, Washington, where I did my residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation. And I, I did a fellowship with uh, one of our current competitors. My fellowship was in sports and spine rehabilitation. And I thought I was going to stay on at that uh, practice and things didn't work out. So I was super lucky uh, to get a job at Rothman Orthopedics in 2009. And uh, I had no idea that all of these opportunities were going to come my way as a result of being part of a, a really serious academic institution and with a you know a focus on research and innovation. So for me, I kind of landed here by accident, but been all good since. Appreciate that. So yeah, I just kind of want to you know get right into the topic because there is really so much, and you know we can obviously talk about both of your careers and you know, the success that you've had along the way and obviously the growth, but you know, the reason why we're here today is you both presented, I think at two months at this point, the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, medical cannabis can reduce use of opioids in patients with chronic back pain and osteoarthritis. So it's been getting a lot of national, international attention. Dr. Ellis, you served as a lead researcher of these studies. So kind of let's start from the beginning for, you know, one of the things that Many people may or may not know that, you know, Rothman Orthopedics, our physicians here are very much into research. So I kind of just want to start at the beginning, like walk us through this research process. How did we get here? 
Yeah, so I want to first say that Ari was the lead study, lead research in the studies, but we definitely collaborated and I've tried to help him as best I can along the way, but uh, he's been really leading the charge with cannabis research. But just taking a step back for a moment for the sake of discussion, you know, at Rothman Orthopedics, we take pride in really doing innovative research and kind of setting the stage for the current practice paradigms of standard of care in orthopedics and musculoskeletal medicine. And one of those areas is pain management in, in orthopedics, musculoskeletal medicine, and medicine and healthcare in general. And my own personal interest in the pain management space began organically, kind of just uh, with experiences with my own patients and then starting to do research in pain management. And I realized early on that. Uh, we can do much better as a community of, of healthcare providers in terms of pain management. And so my research started to grow and our scope of work started to grow in the pain management space. And then later, I had the privilege of serving as president of the Pennsylvania Orthopedic Society. And I spent a lot of time statewide on this issue as well. And I realized that not only was there a lot of room to improve our, our pain management and, and orthopedics and, and medicine in general, there's a lot of interest both on the patient side and the physician side. And all that work, you know, culminated ultimately internally for us to kind of spend some dedicated time around pain management. So we started uh, a 501c nonprofit organization known in short as the Rothman Opioid Foundation, where we decided that we can really kind of focus our energies around pain management strategies. And I can speak more about the foundation uh, if you wish, but fundamentally we are looking to innovate pain management. And so medical cannabis research is a natural um, aspect of that because medical cannabis is something that, uh, that is relatively new, at least in Pennsylvania. Broadly, it's relatively new across the country and it's continued to grow in its utilization and growing in our understanding of it. So I was very supportive of looking at this and we continue to be so. And obviously, as you mentioned, the Academy was very interested in our research today, which we can review obviously with you. I appreciate that explanation and sorry for getting that wrong in the beginning as far as the research, but Dr. Gray, speak a little bit about what you were hoping to find out when you and Dr. Elias kind of got together on this. Well, you know, I, I don't have the research background that Asif has, and I think that one of the things that's been inspiring about working at Rothman is, you know, this attitude that we can always do better. And I think after being in practice for, you know, close to 10 years and practicing in a pain management world that's inundated with, you know, prescription medications and a real focus on opioids for pain management, especially when I was training and in fellowship, after a while, I think you realize there are obvious better ways of doing things and less harmful ways of, of managing pain. And I was somewhat familiar with the, you know, little existing research on cannabis. But, you know, if you really look at the literature for cannabis, as much as people tout that it could be good for almost any entity or ailment, a majority of the decent research that's been done on cannabis shows that it's effective as a pain reliever. And, you know, I think for thousands and thousands of years, people have been using cannabis as a pain reliever safely. And, you know, when it became available in Pennsylvania, for me, it was really just a no brainer that, that this was a, a viable option that we should explore. But, you know, we have to really contribute to the literature on this plant and science and, you know, I really did need a partner to, to make this all happen. And, you know, fortunately, Asif was, was there doing something in the opioid space. And I think, you know, together we're, 
we're really feeding off of each other's energy in terms of, you know, best practices and trying to teach other clinicians, you know, a new way of managing pain, especially when it becomes chronic and people are going to need to be on meds for a long, long period of time. I want to jump, since you guys mentioned Dr. Elise's work with the uh, foundation, but maybe discuss a little bit about like the symmetry between both programs and why it is important for both your programs to kind of partner and work together. You know, from my perspective, the whole purpose of introducing cannabis in our practice was to reduce opioid usage. So, uh, you know, we're relatively inundated with uh, patients with chronic pain conditions. Many of them have been on opioids for, for years or afraid to use opioids because they're aware of the harmful effects or know someone who's been affected by opioid addiction. So I, I think, you know, from the beginning, it was obvious that our, our goals were aligned. Actually, is anything to add to that or just? You know, absolutely. So by its very nature, I think it's complementary. You know, if you look, just taking a step back from the foundation perspective, I wear the foundation hat for a moment. As a organization, our mission is threefold. The first is research. So doing research on pain management strategies that are opioid sparing, opioid mitigating, educating the public and prescribers on safe opioid use and prescribing respectively, and then serving as kind of like a, a think tank or a advisor to our legislators as they develop policies around pain management. So, you know, medical cannabis is really a fascinating space that we're in right now. Uh, it's brand new, I think. Yeah, I would say that we're in our infancy of understanding it. So I think as much as sculptor leaders locally and nationally, I think it behooves us to kind of really look at this and make sure that we are trying to provide as much evidence as we can to drive best practices and also to provide the best evidence we can for our legislators and policymakers to put forth the best policies and make sure our patients are using them right when indicated. So I think it's a natural marriage to look at this. And I think Ari's and Dr. Grace are doing a great job like looking at this issue and making sure that we're rolling this out in a thoughtful manner so that uh, patients fully understand kind of how to you know, do this the right way. And we're learning as we go with this as well. Great. Well said on both of your parts. But yeah, I want to rewind actually again, because like I said, since you, you mentioned again, working together and just it made sense for you both to partner together. But as far as going back to this specific piece of research, you know, the participation and is it safe to say that prime patient candidates, like how, how did you find, you know, the people to participate? Like, what's that process like? And obviously you mentioned the people who suffer from chronic pain, but walk us through a little bit how you do find people to kind of participate in this. We have a, an IRB through Thomas Jefferson that is for prospective data collection on all of our cannabis patients. And so what we essentially have done from the beginning is collect outcome measures from patients that were getting access to cannabis. And we basically looked at a subset of that population that was using controlled substances during the time of their certification. So a lot of our patients weren't using opioids or any other controlled substances to manage pain. But we specifically wanted to look at the patients that were using cannabis with, in theory, the, the attempt to stop using other uh, controlled substances. And so we, we had a, a large amount of data uh, to look at uh, with patients that were using opioids six months prior to their cannabis certification and then six months after. And what we saw, I think, was really telling 
and I think we can get into the details, you know, a little bit later, but I think it was a nice way to look objectively at uh, patients that were using controlled substances and then seeing if there was reduced use of those medications after uh, having access to cannabis. Can I just add one thing to yes, what, absolutely. Uh, what Ari said? So fundamental to it though, and again, we can parse out the studies that we presented at the Academy, because I think the data is really interesting, is making sure that we are collecting good data throughout the process. Because you know we don't want to just be uh, prescribing and certifying, but we want to be studying this. And again, that speaks to our broader mission here at Rothman to kind of lead in terms of research and education and advocacy. So that's really helping us understand it. And I'll be honest with you, the data for myself as well has been really fascinating because this is brand new space for us and to see such remarkable reduction in opioids is really amazing. So just to add one more thing to what Ari said. So fundamentally, we just, we enrolled, we looked at the subset of patients for these two diagnoses, either low back pain, osteoarthritis. Uh, and so there's many people certifying, but we looked at just these subset of patients. And then we, uh, then we included patients who were taking opioids pre-certification for those complaints and then saw post-certification once it were certified for cannabis and started uh, utilizing cannabis for those same chronic pain conditions, what effect that had on their decrease, voluntary decrease on opioid use post-cannabis certification. So I'm curious because again, you know, this is something, a study that has been getting a lot of attention. So you can answer as humbly or, or it's, you know, because it really is just really an honest question, but is it one of those things where I'm thinking about the time that we're in where, you know, medical cannabis is in the news a lot, opioids is in the news a lot. So is this something that again, is still kind of fresh, you would say maybe in the orthopedic world, like, is there not a lot of other people kind of looking at this kind of research. So I'm just curious to understand, you know, if it's getting a lot of attention, is this kind of a new thing? Even though I, you know, we take for granted, we think it is kind of just pretty popular, but maybe that's, that's my perception, but just curious to hear your thoughts. So I'll tell you in the orthopedic community, it's pretty new. It's, it's, it's very new. So if you just look at the Academy this past year, and there's got to be, you know, thousands of presentations at the academy every year, if not more, and more, if not more, like tens of thousands between abstracts and podiums and, and lectures. There's negligible data being presented on medical cannabis. Now, that's not to say in other spheres of medicine that they're not, but I'll say broadly. And as Arina have started to interface with more and more, you know, pain management specialists and other doctors and other specialties who are interfacing with, uh, in the pain management space. It's very much new. And so the short answer is yes, but the longer answer is the more I realize it's new and the more I see kind of the quote unquote excitement around it, and we can talk about that a little bit, the more I realize that we have to really study this carefully to really understand it because there's always good and bad with any medication from something from Tylenol to opiates to whatever. So we have to look at this really critically, but yes, broadly it's, it's quite new. Okay. That, you know, like I said, my perception is again, because I think it's in the topic every day, but you know, curious, I think a lot of people, lay people like myself, and obviously being in this world, I, I know better, but many people will just automatically think, or their first thing when they hear orthopedic surgeons is one, they're going to cut me open and two, they're going to give me. Opioids. So that's kind of just the misconception again, for people that are unfamiliar and kind of like, wait, what you guys have a Rothman opioid foundation or you have a medical cannabis department. And you're kind of, you know, steering away from that, or you don't, you know, recommend surgery right away. So it's kind of like all those things that I assuming you guys are trying to dispel those myths. 
I, and I think it's important for the listeners to know as well that the other way you can know that it's new is, first of all, Pennsylvania only legalized uh, medical cannabis, was it three or four years ago, Ari? I mean, uh, 2016. In 2018, the, the law went into effect, but it was right. in 2016. So that's like, that's three or four years ago. And and mm-hmm. so it's quite new in the state. Right. And, and then nationally, there's only 33 or 34 states that even allow for use of medical cannabis. And those numbers keep increasing. So even you know nationwide, it's relatively new. So there's certain states who've embraced it much earlier, but even if you look in just our region between you know Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, um, it's relatively new in just the past few years. So it is it is early on. And I would just say that you know the answer to that question is it's new, and and at the same time it sort of isn't. You know if you look at the cannabis research, you know a majority of people use cannabis as a medicine to treat pain. That's the number one reason, and that's you know supported by some of the evidence showing that you know it's effective for managing chronic pain in adults. I think what we're doing though is is really expanding that knowledge base by looking specifically at orthopedic you know patients that have specific diagnoses that are being followed with, you know, specific validated outcome measures for their condition. And, uh, you know, I think our research methods are getting better, but we're also getting more specific about which types of patients could benefit from it, which type of products might be most um, successful and have the least amount of side effects. And so I think, you know, like like any topic in medicine, we're, we're making these advancements because, you know, it's layering knowledge base on top of knowledge and learning more as we go. And so I, I think for some people, it's not surprising our results. And those are the people that understand something about cannabinoids and how they work on the body. But in the orthopedic world, knowing that this may be a viable option as, a, as opposed to opioids, I think that's definitely very new. You both actually mentioned, um, or the study actually mentions that more research needs to be done. So what and I guess maybe because it still is in this infancy stage, but kind of after, you know, you have this, when would you look at it again or when would you reevaluate or what more needs to be done? And there's more data that we'd like to have. And I think from a clinician perspective, you know, one of the issues is we aren't taught anything about the endocannabinoid system in medical school. No one has experience recommending cannabis products. And so what we're trying to do is also come up with dosing guidelines. And, you know, we, we don't know what the most effective combinations of THC and CBD, which are the two most uh, available uh, chemicals in the plant, you know, which dosages are most effective, at what point does side effects or other uh, levels of intoxication start to uh, kick in for most people. So, you know, I think they're like any other drug study, there's a lot we need to learn about safety and tolerance and efficacy. And so, you know, the more we learn about the type of products that patients are using in the state, the more data we'll have to present. And and just to add to that, um, uh, Alex, so beyond that information, which we absolutely need, dosage, frequency, efficacy, delivery route, et cetera, complication profile, drug reactions, et cetera. Also, if you look at from an orthopedic or a surgical perspective, what's its best indications? Chronic pain, acute pain, uh, post-operative pain, cancer pain, um, and that's just the pain space. And then cannabis has been used for a, a slew of other non-musculoskeletal diagnoses as well. So it's growing, but I think to, you know from an orthopedic perspective, it's relatively new. I will add just one more thing. So this is not the paper we're, we're discussing, but we did a study last year 
that I think will be interesting for your listeners, where we surveyed 2,500 patients coming to the Rothman Institute for various musculoskeletal complaints. So any list of conditions that they're seeing in one of our musculoskeletal specialists or surgeons for, and to see what their impression and perspective on medical cannabis was, just like what they thought about it. And the, the day that was most shocking to me was that 9% of patients who were being asked these questions were already taking medical cannabis in some form for some diagnosis. So almost one in 10 were already using medical cannabis, not necessarily the diagnosis we're discussing, but just taking it on a medical basis. So that's a huge number. So although it's new in terms of our research, to Ari's point, it's not new in terms of its utilization. And I think its utilization is going to continue to grow. Yeah, we'll definitely have to revisit that when that's done. And just curious, so how long will that process kind of you continue to look at that data? When will that kind of be officially done? So it's, it's actively being done. So one of the things that uh, we're always doing is looking at the data that we're collecting and also make sure that our outcome measures are up to par in terms of getting the data that we want. Cannabis is challenging, though, to study. I think it's just worth mentioning here that unlike most medications, we can't do standard controlled trials of it. Um, and Dr. Grass can talk more about this, but you know, cannabis is a controlled substance, so we can't do a randomized trial in the traditional sense uh, readily, like where you can get either drug A, which is cannabis, and drug B, which is something else that we can observe, or give you different dosages of cannabis or different deliveries of cannabis because it's still controlled. So it's difficult to do this kind of traditional studies without special research licenses. So that makes it a little bit more challenging to do, but the imperative is still there to pursue that type of data. Gotcha. So we imagine there probably are many potential patients who absolutely don't want to be treated with opioids. So what would you say to patients out there? And obviously, you know, you mentioning the study who might be hesitant to seek treatment for their orthopedic issues because they don't want pain meds. So you, you mean, what would you say to them in terms of using something as an alternative to opioids? Yeah. And again, maybe it's kind of going along with, you know, the study, um, Dr. Elise, that you're kind of looking at right now, but uh, with people's kind of impressions of cannabis. So what would you say to potential patients? Again, because like I said, they think surgery or opioids. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's obviously lots of misconceptions out there when it comes to opioids and cannabis and, you know, alternative pain management options. I think one of the most interesting things that we've discovered by asking patients about side effects and levels of intoxication is that I would explain that close to half of our patients that are using cannabis aren't experiencing any intoxication whatsoever. And I think that's really important because most people assume medical marijuana equals I'm high all day or I'm high when I use my medication. And, you know, I think everybody is mostly looking for a way to alleviate symptoms, but to remain in control and to be able to function and, you know, perform, you know, life's duties. And, you know, I, I think sharing our experience that, that even elderly patients who are on a variety of other medications can, can oftentimes find, you know, one or two cannabis preparations that, is, is helpful and doesn't cause a lot of side effects or intoxication or drug interactions. And I think that's really reassuring. And, and the fact that it's easier to stop using cannabis without levels of, you know, physical dependence or risk of psychological addiction, you know, makes cannabis a safer option. But 
you know, I think at Rothman, when we practice chronic pain management, we really do practice multimodal care. And it's not one thing that's going to help most of these patients. It's, it's a, a variety of modalities. And, you know, I, I just think that having access to some of the products, you know, can really be useful and safe and effective for a lot of patients. Great. Yeah, just to add to that, a couple of things I want to just comment on. So first of all, it's generally not a binary choice. It's generally not, you know, opioids or, or, or surgery. You know, there's one of the great things about what we do is there's a lot of ways to treat conditions. And as Ari said, one of the things that is the mainstay of pain management in orthopedics and particularly what we here at Rothman advocate is, is a multimodal pain management strategy. So almost whether you're doing chronic pain or, or acute pain or post-op pain, there's, there's a combination of things that we should employ in order to control uh, someone's pain experience. So that's really important. As it stands right now in terms of our understanding of, of as at least in my understanding of cannabis right now, our best data for the use of cannabis is in the chronic pain space. And not to say that in time with research and analysis, it may now have indications in the acute pain and the, and the post-op pain space. Right now it's in the chronic pain space. So it, it's definitely an option for folks Particularly, I think if I had to pick one subset of folks, uh, and that our, our studies kind of focus on that subset, is those that are opioid dependent manage their chronic pain. Because the problem with opioid dependency for chronic pain is you have to keep taking more and more opiates to achieve the same level of pain control. And that's one of the big issues around it. And then the, the risk of dependency and side effects increases. So, in the, I think that's probably the most ideal right now. But I think our understanding of the indications for use of cannabis uh, will continue to grow over time. Great. I would say before we wrap up, what is the takeaway for patients or for other surgeons or for anyone who treats patients? What would you say is the biggest takeaway or that you're hoping people get from this research? You know, my, my general takeaway is that, you know, there's a way to use cannabis safely and effectively to, to treat chronic pain. And, um, you know, I think it's a viable option. I don't think it needs to be a last resort after patients have failed all other modalities. And I think there's a lot more that we need to learn about it. And we're only going to get better at this. But um, through, you know, exposure and education and experience, I think other clinicians um, will learn that that this is a, a useful option, that it's just like most other medications that we already prescribe. And, um, you know, there's no reason not to embrace it. Great. I totally agree. And I would just say in the spirit of multimodal pain management, particularly in the chronic pain setting, it's just one more tool, one more um, mechanism and ability for clinicians to improve patients' pain experience, particularly in the, in the chronic pain space. But again, as we've said several times, it's really early on. We need to do a lot more research and we're going to continue to champion that research here. I want to... Give you both the floor, I guess. Appreciate that takeaway. But anything else that you want to add before we end here or final thoughts? I always like to give our guests their little elevator pitch. It could be about both departments, the foundation as well as the cannabis department. If there's anything you want to add about those, feel free. I don't know if this is appropriate and I don't want to make this a political issue, but I think that if you know people really believe that you know they should have a right to access cannabis to use as a medicine that, you know, they should, they could, they should consider this a serious topic and to vote for elected officials that are going to do something to change, you know, our current uh, federal legislation on the topic. Absolutely. Thank you for that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Alex, I think you know, we're, I think you can end with where we kind of talked about our final thoughts on the future of research and and utilization. I think it was a good way to end it. Yeah. And like I said, when the research that you mentioned is complete, we'll definitely have to do a follow-up to that. But I want to thank you both, Dr. Grice, Dr. Ilias, for joining me today on this hot topic. So hoping that our listeners, you know, they hear it, they listen, they read about it, and, you know, appreciate all the hard work that you both do for Rothman Orthopedics. So thank you again for joining me. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. I'd like to thank Dr. Grice and Dr. Ilias for joining me today. Please visit our landing page, rothmanortho.com backslash podcast for all available episodes. We're on Spotify, Apple, Google, and a few other listening platforms. So make sure you subscribe, like, and share on whatever platform you utilize. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.